All right, stand by. This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. You think this is our f- coming out of an eight-day break, we our fourth game in basically five and a half days, uh, and it didn't start well. You know, it's just four days ago we lost 7-1 in Florida. And so we give our guys a little bit of credit here because we had a tough one against San Jose. We had a 3-1 lead and we lose it. And then we got the, the champs come in and, and we take them out and then Arguably, maybe the two best teams you might see in the West. And so uh, I'm really proud of our guys because the week didn't start off great, but um, you know, the group that we have here, and like I said, they dug their heels in this week. And um, I know it's just one on the road out of, you know, we've got three more, but that's a great way to start it. Great way to start it. There's John Cooper getting you set for the game tonight. Lightning and abs. Greg Linelli with you. Dave Mishkin on the other side. Steve Versnick is our producer. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. Hoping to have Brian Engblom stop by later today. And if you hear some skating going on in the background, that's because... Well, who's out there, partner? Who's out there playing right now? Well... It is hard for me to know exactly because I'm pretty high up and no one's wearing numbers on their jersey. Just yell. Give a a yell. So here's the thing. The Avalanche are going to start their official morning skate, if not at, and I'll talk in Eastern time zone times, if not at noon, like right now, 1230. So these are the extras. So there are two guys in a red jersey and one guy in a black jersey, and I believe these three players are Kale McCarr and Darren Helm in the red jerseys and Josh Manson in the black jersey because they were in those same jerseys yesterday. And Jared Bednar said none of the three will be able to play tonight. In addition, Eric Johnson got hurt early in their game against the Panthers on Saturday. He is out. And Pavel Fransos, who has not played since – the Avs played Pittsburgh before they play the Lightning. He is injured. So this parade of players to IR just being unavailable to play due to injuries, it just is nonstop for Colorado. So they've called up Jonas Johansson. I'm presuming he will back up Alexander Georgiev tonight. And I say presume because the Avs are playing a back-to-back, and I'll get to that in a second. They also recalled... Brad Hunt, they had sent him down, even though he played in the in the games, a lot of recent games, but he played in the games against the Lightning and Panthers. They may have sent him down for cap reasons. They called him back up. And then a rookie, Ben Myers, who's played 28 games with them this year, is also up. He's a forward. So if that's the case, the Avs may go to 12 and 6, but I don't see any other healthy players available for them. So basically they have... 12 healthy forwards and six healthy defensemen and Georgiev and the backup who just got recalled from the minors. So here's the reason why I would say I think it's it's more than likely Georgiev will play tonight. But you know who they play tomorrow, Greg? Tell me. Minnesota. At Minnesota. The team they are neck and neck with in the Central Division. In fact, the Avs enter play tonight out of the playoffs again. 
because Minnesota and Calgary both got a point last night. They lost in overtime in the shootout. That's a big game for the Avs tomorrow in Minnesota, and it's a big game for Minnesota. It's a big so game look, tonight. Well, but that's what I'm saying. So yeah, tomorrow's sure. game, yeah. tomorrow's game, Georgiev is going to play. I don't, assuming Francois is is not going to be able to play. So, if that is the case, if Francois is out for today and tomorrow, if I'm Colorado, Georgiev has to play the divisional game. Do you play in both ends of a back-to-back with travel? Probably, but we'll see. Who's their backup tonight? Jonas Johansson. Okay. They claim it on waivers from Arizona earlier this year. Would you throw him to the Wolves, so to speak, tonight? <laughs> well, he's played in <laughs> one NHL game this year. Yeah. That was in relief of a home loss, a blowout loss at home to Toronto. You know, sometimes in a, in a moment like that. He didn't the, allow a goal. Yeah. <laughs> well, the I mean, that he there's played, but. not a ton on him in terms of, you know, at the NHL level. Yeah. So maybe you go in there and you think maybe he can have himself a, an evening against some lightning shooters who aren't necessarily familiar with him. Sometimes that plays out. I, I don't know. It could obviously go the other way. But that is tough luck in net and on the back end for the Avs mm-hmm. heading into tonight's game. Right, I mean, as you Very mentioned, Carr, Johnson, yeah. Manson likely out. I mean, this isn't this isn't good. Well, and the Avs pointed out in their game notes that their next six games are all back to backs, and in every one of the second game, they are so they travel in all three sets of back to back. So it's either home road or road home, and in all three instances, the second half of the back to back is against a team waiting for them. Tomorrow, yeah. Minnesota. Right. This is a tough scheduling stretch for the That Avs. is a tough stretch. Now, the Lightning are also in a back-to-back. I would expect Vasilevsky's going to start tonight, and Brian yes. Elliott will get the start tomorrow against Arizona. Correct. That would make the most sense in that particular moment. But we'll see how it transpires. But I'm curious what our audience thinks about tonight's game, understanding some of the injuries thrown Colorado's way, and understanding the Lightning do have a game tomorrow night at Bolts Radio. Hit us up on Twitter. I do think it is interesting understanding the back-end limitations now that are plaguing the avalanche. Mm -hmm. Does it reinforce some of the aggressive style we want to see from the Lightning in a game like tonight? In other words, are you more inclined to, whether it's chip and chase a little bit, or not be as cute in Colorado's own zone to hold well, up I don't think they ever want, I don't think they ever want to be cute in Colorado's end or against any team. I mean, look, well, sometimes what I, they, and what they I mean like by that is overpassing. Plays. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. overpassing and and maybe not shooting as Phil Esposito would say because it feels like if it plays out this way and sometimes it doesn't that there's going to be some opportunities here for the Lightning. You get an open look, shoot it. Well, that's true. And, and look, I think there needs to be a balance. And when the Lightning are at their best, they find a balance. I mean, they're never going to be a meat and potatoes team and just shoot, 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 shoot. They're not. They are going to move the puck around. Colorado is that way, too. Yeah. I mean, Colorado does shoot the puck a lot. They actually had 50 shots in their game against the Panthers. But we've seen them work the puck around in the offensive zone and really make life difficult for the opposition when they kind of get on a wave of momentum. 
right. and it's not always like shot, retrieve, shot, retrieve, shot, retrieve. There's some of that in there. So I think, you know, for the Lightning or, or for a team like Colorado that, I mean, they're not built identically, but I think that they can both make the other team feel really uneasy when they get rolling and they kind of put their big boy pants on, right? Yep. And they and they allow their skill to really be on display on the ice. It's not only shooting pucks. Like I think there is a part of moving the puck around and and trying to create a really good opportunity. But I think you can find a balance. And what you're saying, which which I agree with, is if you tip too far in the one direction, which is to say you're not shooting enough, and you're trying to be too cute you can give the other team like an escape valve, right? Correct. Like you put it right on their stick and they they can get out of trouble. I think that the Lightning have to be ready, though, even without McCarr, even without Manson, neither one of those guys played the other night in Tampa, and you're going to pull Eric Johnson out of the mix. Even without those guys, this Colorado team is capable of – kind of skating downhill and owning the bulk of the possession. Like you have often said, Greg, sometimes the best defense is a good offense and that you have the puck. The other team can't expose what you have defensively because they don't have the puck. We talked about that with Darcy Kemper last year in the Stanley Cup final. The Avs dominated puck possession for long stretches. The Lightning couldn't even get into a position to potentially take advantage of the goaltending advantage that they had. So do they miss McCarr? Yes. And McCarr is a big part of everything they do, whether it's D zone, neutral zone, offensive zone, five on five, power play, penalty kill, you name it. But I don't think that it means that, you know, necessarily the the Avs have like a soft underbelly that's going to be exposed. They're still a really fierce opponent. And, you know, McKinnon is healthy. Rantanen's healthy. You know, Nachushkin took a maintenance day yesterday, but all indications are that he's going to play. I mean, this is still going to be a very challenging game, even with some of the injuries. And Georgiev, if he starts, has had a very good year for Colorado. Yeah, he has. I was looking. He did have one back-to-back where he started both games earlier this year. And again, it was, I think they were on the road first and then home second. I think they had like home Columbus at Chicago. So you might say, all right, well, those are two kind of weak teams. But at the time, you know, it's still a back to back. And he played both. So he's done it before. But these are two games. I mean, this is not at Chicago, home Columbus. This is home Lightning at Minnesota. You tomorrow's game to. is tomorrow's game is a four point game for Minnesota and Colorado. It is, it is. and I just saw it, it really Minnesota. is. Like They're, sometimes we say that in the division, They're separated, I believe, by a point, and the Avs have two games in hand. They'll be getting Mark Andre Fleury in that tomorrow because I was looking at some of the tweets coming in from Joe Smith who covers okay. the Wild. So it doesn't look like Felino's going to be in the lineup for the Wild in that game, but we'll see. You know how that plays out. Colorado certainly wants to feel good about themselves tonight. You always wonder, too, if if the altitude impacts a game like this tonight, particularly for just a one-off. You know, you're dealing with the time change. You're dealing with on the road. 
We yeah. mentioned about Colorado with some injuries. You know, sometimes a, a nice equalizer can be the surroundings or the elements, and you don't find that a ton in hockey. But Colorado would be one place where it does affect a team who's coming in. Well, you're the talking first about time. the Lightning, yeah. correct? Yeah, correct. Well, and I think so, that's you know, why tonight. they came in yesterday afternoon. Yeah, for sure. And what was it that we not we concluded, but is it is it felt by the Lightning when they were? dealing with Colorado in the finals, that, that it wasn't necessarily in game one or game two, where maybe you started to feel the effects of the high altitude, but maybe maybe later in the series. Mm-hmm. Do I have that right? I feel like that's kind of where well, it can have look, an impact. They, they were close in game one. They lost in overtime. They got blown out in game two. Game one was Wednesday. Game two was Saturday. So there were right. two days off in between game one and game two. And the media day... The media day was Tuesday, so the lighting had to get here Monday, if I'm remembering right. I know they had to get here more than a day in advance of the first game. So that meant they spent a week, basically a week in Colorado, because we flew home the Sunday after the game two. We didn't fly straight home right after the game. So what I think the lightning determined, certainly in that series, but also I think that, that this is kind of accepted knowledge that if you're not used to the altitude the longer you stay in that four to five to six day span it's going to end up affecting you more on the back end than in the beginning george guazdecki often said this because he coached university of denver for years and he's from the area i mean i think he's back here last i saw he was back here still coaching and what he would say, college hockey, as you know, Greg, usually it's weekend set games. So Denver, let's say, would play Minnesota. Let's use Minnesota as an example. So Minnesota would come to Denver, play Friday and Saturday. What George would say was they usually noticed a, an impact more in the second game, that that extra day affected the visitors more the first game the first day right. they were fresher. So if they got in Thursday, <laughs> they had a better performance Friday than Saturday. Now it was a back to back, but it was a back to back for both teams. So it's not like there was any travel involved there. And that's the way college hockey works. So that would be consistent with kind of the way the Lightning are thinking about this. Let's get in essentially afternoon slash evening the night before. Let's play the game the next day and get get the heck out. Get out. As opposed to getting yeah. here after the game on Saturday afternoon and having to spend, you could say getting to spend if you really like Denver, but spending the rest of Saturday night, Sunday, Monday, and then game Tuesday. They did not do that. No. We'll see if it pays off because there's an opportunity here. Yeah. Uh, or, however you, you know, want to face it. And it may pay off in terms of a close game, right? Like yeah, maybe they sure. don't win tonight, but they're right there. And sometimes that happens, right? It does. It does. Like the Apple altitude is not going to affect their performance. That's really what they wanted to avoid. I wonder if it ever affects the performance of Colorado players when they're on the road for an extended period yeah. of time and then come back for that. That's first a good game. question. Well, the Lightning have a few guys who have played in Colorado. Yeah. Belmar was here for a couple of years. Ian Cole was here for yeah. at least two years. I think he was moved the start of the 56-game season. Right. But he had been here a couple of years before that. 
And briefly, but he had an impact, Nemenstikov was here. Now, he was here the year that they went, the, the league went to the bubble. I think the, those guys So he didn't. he wasn't actually in Colorado very long because he was moved at the deadline. But, right. But, but he would be an interesting guy to ask. Yeah. You know, right off the bat, you know, did you feel that initially? And, you know, what was it like going on the road after playing on home? And then, you know, vice versa. Right. You know, so the, that's just those are more of the external factors, but sometimes they play a role. And, of course, what I think Colorado is dealing with, let's put it this way, partner. The Lightning, at least on paper, aren't getting Colorado's best because of the injuries. Correct. Now, performance-wise, yeah. I mean, they, they may end up playing a great game, and, and we'll see how it happens. But there's an opportunity here, in theory, for the Lightning to at least collect some points. And if you want to say munch, I'm okay with that, too. Uh, before you head into the game tomorrow. So I, I think it's lining up to be advantageous for Tampa Bay. Now they've got to go out and finish it off. And I think we would like to see more of what we saw in their last game in the third period carry over in a more complete way for 60 minutes tonight. It's hard to do. Every game's different. But what the Lightning found in that third period against Dallas, yeah, you know, you'd I, like to see I would that. agree with that move forward tonight if possible understanding different opponent different venue and it does but i think they sound like things. nick paul go ahead yeah and it does sound like nick paul is going to be back yeah i just said it sounds like nick paul is going to be back yeah. in the lineup tonight and that's very positive because we've talked about this depth the lightning I think potentially have when everybody's clicking on all cylinders, when Paul's healthy, when Sorelli's back in the lineup. We've talked about the bottom six a great deal, but there is a little bit of overflow, I think, with guys who could legitimately be in the top six for Tampa Bay. Nick Paul healthy clearly fits into that mold. He makes that lightning team a lot better when it comes to the depth scoring because I think as we've seen, partner, one of the things that I think has been a bright spot, I don't think it prevents necessarily Julian Brisois from doing a ton at the deadline, but I still think there is an opportunity there for him to upgrade the depth. But I would say this. If the Lightning didn't do anything at the trade deadline for whatever reason, whether it was more cap-related or it was just a player they couldn't find to fit the role of uh, a traditional bottom six, I think if you're a Lightning fan, you'd have to go into that saying, all right, we would have liked to have upgraded. But we also know that there are some guys who are playing a bit better, who have more to give, that the risk of the Lightning not having the appropriate depth you'd like heading into the playoffs isn't as great as we thought because maybe there are some other levels guys can reach who have done it before that haven't necessarily gotten there yet. And I, I think that might be something we have to look at as we continue to march close to that trade deadline, which is coming up in what, about a, a couple weeks now, right? Two, yeah. three weeks. Right. So. March I think, 3rd, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's already a lot of talk about what's going to happen, who's going to do what. But again, if the Lightning don't do anything, some of those free agent pickups they had in the offseason, I think we all would agree some of them haven't lived up quite necessarily to the hype, and it's mainly Vlad Nemesikov, but there's always a chance he does. And I think 
that would be part of the reasoning if Breezewalk can't make a move. One, it, it, it may be financial. But it also, he may feel like he has to give up too much and that the guys he currently has on the roster, maybe he feels like those guys are the ones that, that have another level to get to and feels pretty confident they can. At least that's the hope. Yeah, and, and so I did a, a column... Actually, on Super Bowl Sunday, I did it well before the game. So I was I was somewhat productive on Super Bowl Sunday. And I was kind of thinking about, so the Lightning at that time, and they still do have 30 games left in the regular season. And I wrote about, like, their standings position is very, very good. And also the bulk of their heavy lifting as far as the travel is going to be done after this trip in that they don't have any more games against the Western Conference on the road after they finish this trip, they won four game trip coming up in late March, but they're going to stay in the Eastern time zone. So that does make it a little easier. It's not that the opposition is any weaker, certainly not, but that's a big chunk. The lightning have taken out of the difficult part of their schedule. But I also thought about like what areas of the lightning want to sharpen. We've talked a lot about kind of bottom six scoring and, and, the depth among the forwards, and this includes them. But I would say the bigger challenge for the Lightning or the, the more significant area that they're going to look to sharpen in the final 30 games is lowering their goals against. And going kind of part and parcel with that, Greg, would be improving their penalty kill percentage. Their penalty kill has been streaky, like special teams can be streaky, Remember, they only allowed two power play goals to the opposition in the entire month of December. But, like, they dipped under 80% there. These last two games have helped them in both both categories. They've lowered their goals against, and they've raised their penalty kill percentage in shutting out Colorado and holding Dallas to one goal because they've only allowed one goal, and that one goal was not an opposition power play goal. They've been perfect on the penalty kill. But prior to that, they had... They had dipped under 80% on penalty kill, and their goals against had, had grown to over three a game. So they're under three now. I think they're at 2.92. And I want to say, last time I checked, they were like 13th to 14th in team defense. As we enter action tonight, they're tied for 13th on the penalty kill. I would like to see both those numbers get into the top 10. And it's kind of an arbitrary, like, get in the top 10. It's more important that it just gets lower, the goals against, and the penalty kill goes up. Because those are two areas you are going to absolutely need in the playoffs. So, like, you have made the point, maybe in the playoffs, they just have to lean more on their top guys for scoring. And if most games are 2-1-3-2, that'll be enough. But if their team defense isn't up to snuff and they're giving up three or more on average per game. And part of that is like, if your penalty kill is struggling, it's harder to keep the other team to, to two or less. They're going to be in a pickle. Let's be honest. So I'm not the GM, right? I don't know what's out there. I don't know how Julian is assessing his team, but I would, I would be looking at those two areas now that we've reached the final 30 in the regular season. Sure. No, that makes sense. I mean, sense. maybe you disagree with me, and you're no, like, I want to I mean, see I... their bottom six all get to double-digit goals and and all of that and, and see more consistent scoring. I think it's been better, though. I agree. Like, we break the season into thirds, let's say. We're we're approaching the final third. This, the middle third, the one that we're in right now and wrapping up, 
was way better for depth scoring than the first third. I, I completely agree with you, and I think that's something we have we have pointed out. I think one of the questions we have, and it would be more for Julian Brisbane, and we won't know until I think around the trade deadline. Does he feel the same way, and does he feel comfortable not doing anything with the current group that he has? You know, look, let's face it. Pat Maroon on social media has taken a lot of flack, I think, for his perceived play based off of just the reaction I've seen. I think Belmar's probably been in that mode. And I also think, too, Vlad Nemesikov, just because of the age and his production levels previously. I think everybody looks at those three guys and says, okay, is there going to be an upgrade at some point? Perry, to a lesser extent, although I think we see the value in Perry more so on the power play, and not that you can take that to the bank in the playoffs, because I think it's very inconsistent from that standpoint. But I think Perry has shown enough finishing ability, partner, around the net, particularly on the power play, whether it's the first unit or the second unit. Obviously, it comes mostly with the second unit, but he is a guy that you could move up and down a little bit because of his ability to score in tight. I see maybe less criticism of his play. I think it's the other three guys that I mentioned, and I, I just think you have to be practical about where you are as a team and say, okay, do you think that group has played better from the first game of the year to now? And I think the answer would be yes. Can you get away with their production in the playoffs? And do you think there's more for them to reach? I would answer yes. And then really the third question you'd have to ask, can that group, if they're not scoring, maybe to your point, and maybe the most important, not be a liability defensively? Can they prevent goals? You know, if you're not going to score a ton, if the production's going to dip a little bit this year from that group, are they doing a good enough job, Dave, killing penalties when called upon and being, you know, playing even hockey at five on five? Don't be a liability defensively because then that's where you have problems too. Yeah. As you have pointed out. Yeah. Like if we still look at the plus minus for the year, so Hayden Fleury is a minus, and in his defense, he hasn't really played regularly and had an opportunity to, to pull that up. Although Cal Foote has not played regularly either, and he is a plus player. But among the forwards, the guys who are minus are the five forwards in the bottom six minus Nick Paul. Now, their minus has improved other than Corey Perry. Perry's at minus 14. But at one point, I think they were up around like minus eight, minus nine, now it's more like minus two, minus three. So that tells you that they've been they've been trending in the right direction. But you don't want to see that, right? Like at the very least, if you're not going to be scoring regularly, don't get scored on. And the fact that it's Agreed. that group tells you kind of the goals against. It's not that the top six has been perfect defensively. It's just they've made up for any goals that have gone in against them by by producing plenty of goals themselves. So they're all plus players. So if you're not going to be producing regularly, you have to make sure that you're not giving up anything. No doubt about it. I think it's a, it's a valid point. It's one that gets overlooked because I think everybody wants to look at scoring, and that is a big deal. But in the playoffs especially, you need to be able to prevent goals. Yeah. I mean, look at the last several. So the Stanley Cup final was weird because the Avs had a blowout win and the Lightning had, we'll call it a blowout win in game three. 
wasn't as lopsided, but it was still fairly lopsided. But in the last couple of games are very low scoring. And look at that Rangers series. I mean, games five and six were both two to one, right? No doubt. Game three, a game the Lightning absolutely had to have, was three to two. They won the yep. game. They held the Rangers to two or less. They held the Rangers to two or less in all four of their wins. Games three, four, five, and six. So there were some games where they scored more than two, but there were a couple of games when they only scored two, but they still won because they held the Rangers to only one goal. That is that is probably a more tried and true formula for playoff success than allowing three or more and, and winning 4-3. I mean, you can win a game 4-3. It happens, right? You might have a game where you score seven. It happens. But I think that if I'm looking at kind of diagnosis lightning right now through 52 games, what do I want to see in the final 30? I want to see way more regularly two or less in terms of the goals against and a penalty kill percentage that's from here on out, let's say, in the mid-80s or higher. That's not easy, but I think that's going to serve them well if they can kind of raise that level when they get into the playoffs. Makes a lot of sense. If you want to get involved in the conversation, you can at By the way, Radio. it does, it does yeah. look like the Avs. They have a lot of players out there. I'm not sure if they have all their players out there. They have, they're just kind of skating around, but both goalies are out there. And I don't know the goalies well enough to know which one is Georgiev and which one is Johansson. Fransos catches with his right hand. So he's like he, Louis DeMink, right? Yeah, he would be <laughs> obvious if yeah. he were out there, but he's hurt. So right. I don't know which, which goalie's in the starter's net. I don't think it's a full skate. I think that this is maybe about 12 or 13 guys out on the ice. And one of them's in a red jersey. I think that's still McCarr. That McCarr injury, what that happened with, with Jeff Carter, right? This yeah. is going on a week, at least. Yeah. I mean, it's good for, for him and for the Avs that he's out on the ice skating. Uh, there's one more guy in the bench. We'll we'll see. When they start you need Phil's going through the drills. Binoculars. I, well, <laughs> all I can do, I mean, I could count players. That would sure. be one way to, to do it, but they're all yeah. skating around. So yeah. it's kind of like herding cats, right? I yeah. got to wait for them to get into a drill and, and see. Just tell them. Yell down. Hey, guys, separate at. a little bit here, you know? Well, the point is Come I on. know who's playing for them because you do. they only you have do. 18 available skaters yeah. and the two goalies. I'm more who's starting in net, and from up here, I can't tell the goaltenders apart. We may be able to unearth something on social media from one of the Avs reporters. I will leave that in, in your trusty hands or Steve's trusty hands. I see Brian, though. He's sitting in the stands. He's got his phone to his ear, so Steve might be calling him. Can you wave to him while he's doing the interview? Yeah. He's waving back. Wait, is that the so middle he finger? Hear us. Is that the he middle finger be, he's giving us? I, don't, I think I it just, was all five <laughs> fingers. I just, I just flashed him. <laughs> he wants to forget about that. Well, hey. we can ask he, we can ask Brian because I'm like I'm like on the moon up here trying to identify goaltenders. Oh, yeah. Brian's way closer, so we can ask him who's in the starters net for Colorado. Yeah, the problem I don't know is if he knows. they all look the same. <laughs> yeah, they do all look the same. Well, Brian, uh, first off, thank you for joining us. The Lightning may be catching the Avs, at least from a 
a lineup perspective at the right time. Not to say that the Lightning, this is going to be a walkover, but certainly you take some of those key ingredients out of anybody's lineup. That's that's tough to to march on, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they've had as bad a season as anybody in the NHL. Um, most man games, um, most 39 players they've used. That's, that's a big number. Um, so they are a strong team. I, I certainly wouldn't bet against them. I still think they're going to be a playoff team. We were just talking uh, to a couple of Avalanche people behind the scenes, and, and we are asking about Landeskog, and they said, like, they're, they're really tight-lipped about injuries here and most teams are uh so don't they don't even have a great sense but they're people are sort of the innuendo is Landeskog maybe mid-march so that gets him back in enough time to get it you know to get his game going and he's a huge factor um you know he's a he's a terrific captain just like stammers for the lightning it starts there but i mean his production level his ability in the corners his two-way game, on and on and on. So Landis got get the big thing. Um, but for this game here tonight, uh, Manson and Makar being out of the lineup, that's huge. That's that's two of their best. I mean, Makar is arguably the, the best, most dynamic defenseman in the league right now. And um, having him out of the lineup, that makes a big difference. Manson, I've been a big fan of Manson for a long time. When they made that deal to get Manson, I went, ooh, this Colorado team is really going to come together now. Because he's got size, he's got a nasty edge a little bit, big shot, he can control the D zone. He's a little more defensive than offensive, but he can still move the puck. So they've, they've got, uh, you know, those elements that are missing from the game. Those three guys right there for this game tonight certainly changes uh, Colorado's ability to do certain things. And I think you saw it the other night. Um, having said that, hey, the Lightning's gone through stretches too. Every team does, right? They're missing key guys. So... Every game has its own personality. That's what the one thing I've learned over the years is that you can assume something and then, you know, it, it's not true at all once the puck gets dropped. Brian, you spent a number of years living here and, and seeing teams come in. And Greg and I were talking about, like, what is the consensus? on when the altitude affects the opposition the most because the Lightning made a concerted decision to come in essentially right before the game, play the game and get out as opposed to being here for a few days. Do you have the sense that the longer teams are in Denver, and I'm talking about days, that they are more adversely affected by the altitude than if they come in and play essentially within 24 hours? That's a, a great question, and it seems to have really changed exactly 180 degrees from my observations and my thought process anyway, Dave, is that back in the day, it used to be, well, you got to come in, you got to get used to it, you have to get used to that altitude, blah, 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 and then it completely flip-flopped. I remember when Jacques Lemaire was coaching in Minnesota, and they played against Colorado in the playoffs, and that's when it really matters, right? You come in for one game shots. There are so many other factors, just like there are for the Lightning in this game. But in the playoffs, it's different. So you're going to play two games in Colorado. Um, I remember Lemaire took his team out of here. They played the first game, and they left. They went, uh, I, I forget where they went to, some couple of states away, not too far, not all the way back to many, but uh, went somewhere else and then came back again the night before. Um, so that really jumped out to me. And I think that's more the mentality is just come in and get it done. Uh, and then if you're going to play two games, especially if you have a game in between, like back in the day, sometimes too, there'd be two days in between games, right? 
on location. I haven't seen that in a while. That's usually because of television. We're usually guilty of that. But that's a big thing. And, and if I were in that situation for sure with two days in between, say it's, you know, games three and four here in Denver, I for sure would take my team out and, and come back. Whether you go all the way home or you go somewhere else, that's what I've seen and observed. The dryness of the air, I mean, I hardly slept last night, I can tell you that. I hate coming back here. I lived here for 15 years, and you do get used to it. So it doesn't affect the home team as much. Your bodies adapt. It is it's quite a, a marvelous thing that happens to you. But um, coming into the dry air and the altitude, it, it matters. It really matters. I'll tell you a quick story about that. Peter McNabb, the late Peter McNabb, God rest him, uh, played for the Boston Bruins uh, most of his career. And they came in when he was a young guy and Colorado first uh, first was here. Um, and Gary Doak was playing on defense with him, right? And he was at the end of his career. Stay at home defenseman, not the greatest skater. They had the little oxygen canisters on the bench and um, to help these guys because this was the first you know time that the NHL was coming into, into serious altitude. And so... Every time Doki would come back to the bench, he'd grab that little canister. <laughs> and and uh, Peter said, Peter played at Denver University, so he was familiar with this. He said, does that really help? Said it to the trainer. Trainer whispered in his ear, don't tell him that thing's been empty for about a year and a half. But, you know, it's all psychological, but I love that story. <laughs> that is a great story. <laughs> Well, you know, we were talking about this too, Brian. Brian Engblom joins us here on the show about the trade deadlines getting closer, not to speculate who's going to be dealt, who's not, but everybody thinks maybe the bottom six could use an upgrade if that's an area that Julian Breezewell wants to address. But do you feel like the bottom six, since Sorelli has gotten back and maybe we've seen what the lineup potentially is going to look like from here on out, has been better of late? Yes, no doubt. And, you know, with Sorelli getting back in the groove and Nick Paul making the adjustment. Don't overlook that. Nick Paul was playing some great hockey, and he still is. He was the second-line guy, basically, when Sorelli was unavailable at the beginning of the year, recovering from the surgery. And that's been a really valuable piece. So then he starts to lose ice time, and he starts to lose certain situational um, things uh, in a game. Uh, matchups or whatever, who he's against, who he's with, um, and all those things change a little bit for Nick Paul. So psychologically, if I'm him, I'm thinking, okay, this this kind of sucks a little bit. You know, I was playing great, and now you know I'm not not quite as many minutes, not quite as much where I'd like to be because Sorelli's earned it, and he's a great player. So I think that's really settled in, and I I thought that that took a little bit of time for it to happen. But with Nick Paul as technically a third-line center, he's a terrific guy. And look what he did last year in the playoffs when it really mattered, um, including, obviously, the two goals in Game 7 against Toronto. But not just that. So does that help? Yes. And having Maroon not with Perry and Belmar, because that can't really happen anymore. They're another year older. All due respect to all three of them. They've been around the block, and the block looks a little bit bigger now. So... I think that Maroon plays with more tempo playing with Paul and Colton because they can get in fast on the forecheck and Maroon will get there when he gets there. And then when he's there, he, you know, uses the corners in the back of the net. He plays his game and they know how to play with him. So that's really enhanced the third line. And then having Vladimir Nemestikov, who still has great will. He can really skate. 
And you need that with Corey Perry. Perry's never been fast, and but he has slowed down. And Belmar's never been fast, and said he's a year older. So they need that speed. So when you look, and I think that's where people are looking and going, yeah, it would be nice maybe to have another guy that maybe some time to time you could pop into that fourth line, give one of those guys a rest, whether it's Maroon or Perry or Belmar, uh, you know, and just take them in and out of the lineup. And then perhaps theoretically in the playoffs, depending on who you're playing, what the matchups are, get somebody who has more, you know, some fresher legs um, out there. That, those are, are, are the ideas, I think, of where the speculation comes from. In past years with the Lightning, Brian, understanding John Cooper's a guy who will mix up his lines, down the stretch in the regular season, he does like to have his lines steady, gearing up for the playoffs, understanding in the playoffs he might have an injury, he might have to switch things up. It happened last year when Braden Point went down. But I'm wondering what we're seeing in the top six over these last few weeks, the swapping of Hagel and Stamkos fairly consistently and not really settling in necessarily with the top two lines being the same. Do you think we're going to see that down the stretch in the regular season that Coop is basically like, I like both the combinations, whether Hagel is with the Sorelli line or Hagel is with the point line, and we're just going to keep doing this down the stretch? Or do you think he would like to kind of settle in and have the top two lines be consistent down the stretch? That's a that's a critical point, Dave. Um, I love it. I, I think it's a brilliant move. The, the, a coach's nightmare is that you have a, a, a trio that plays together virtually all year, and then you lose one of them uh, to injury for weeks or maybe, God forbid, for the rest of the season, you know, down the stretch. And then you end up losing the whole line. And not just that line, but whichever line that your substitute player came from, now you've got a real problem. So that's what coaches, that's what keeps them up at night. You can't let that happen. As much as you like continuity, you have to have the knowledge and the players have to have the knowledge of playing with different players and they have to mix it up intentionally. That's been, that's been happening. Al Arbor did it. Scotty Bowman did it. Everything's going along nicely. And then next thing you know, all the lines are changed because you don't want it, you don't want everybody to get too comfortable. You start getting comfortable, you got a problem. The NHL, especially down the stretch and in the playoffs for sure, it's about getting comfortable being uncomfortable. That is my favorite description. I've used it for years. It, it, it's true because there's nothing comfortable in the playoffs. And injuries are a big factor in that uncomfortable comfortability. But it may be, it's not even. God forbid, it's not injuries. It's, oh my goodness, all of a sudden we're stale and, and we can't play and we're not getting that production and, and, and. Now, now you mix the lines up and, and oh boy, now everybody's out of balance. Oh, oh what's happening here? Oh, uh, well, we couldn't score with our top lines and uh, now we, 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 we can't score uh, with the changes. Uh, let's go back to the original ones. That's really dangerous. Chaos, controlled chaos is good. Total chaos, <laughs> you lose and you go out real fast, sometimes four straight games. So those are all things that are <laughs> factors of, and when you can switch just Hagel for Stamkos and never miss a beat and use it depending on who you're playing against, it'll be interesting to see what he does tonight here on the road. And that matters too. 
because matchups and Coop has become really good at matchups. That's experience. And so, you know, what he can do uh, with putting Stammer with either with Sorelli or with Braden Point, but the ability to have both those top two lines going like heck and producing no matter which way it looks, that is outstanding stuff for the Lightning. Do you like Hagel more on one of those top two lines? I don't care. I, 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 honestly, care. I, I honestly don't care. They have been, he's been brilliant with Kalorn and Sorelli the last couple of games. The numbers speak for themselves. They shut down the, the McKinnon line, zero points. They were all like minus two. And then the Hintz line in Dallas, they shut them down to zero points. And they were at least minus two, if not minus three, some of them. Um, that's Pavelski and Robertson. You know, that's one of the best lines in hockey. And they did a hell of a job. What they get? What, is, what have they got? 14 points? I'm, I'm talking about Eagle with Sorelli and Kalorn now for the uh, for the last two games for the most part. 14 points? 15. I think, in the last – is it 15? Okay. 15. F- all the better. 15 Yeah, they all have five. It's, it's, it's ridiculously good. So that speaks for itself. Um, but – uh, whether Stammer plays mostly on that line here tonight, uh, don't worry about it. And Hagel, I've said many times, and I've told people, you know, when we discuss uh, visiting, you know, uh, people, uh, uh, their media, uh, visiting teams, uh, we'll talk about the talk line and, and point and Kucherov. I always make a point of saying, hey, Brandon Hagel, when he's on that line, he is not exactly skiing in their wake. And having them do all their job, you know, all the work for them. He produces. He is one. I think he's still number one in takeaways, right, in the league. And virtually all of those are happening in the offensive zone. He is a hell of a forechecker. He he puts the fear of God in the opposing defenseman. He gets in on the puck because his timing is so good. And he steals a lot of pucks. And he's he. Uh, and then when he gets it, he knows exactly what to do. So it's not like he's just fetch and get it to the other two. He he can finish too. Uh, I just think he's had an absolutely terrific year. Brian, I don't think the Lightning in the John Cooper era, let's say, they've never been one of the dominant face-off teams in the NHL, although Stamkos has, has gotten quite good in recent years, and they started off horribly this year near the bottom of the league after the first month, but but they've reached the top 10 in face-off percentage as a team, and all of their main guys are over 50% for the season. I know face-offs may not be your specialty, but, I mean, what are you seeing from the Lightning that, like, is accounting for this? What are they doing well in the circle consistently, not just a game here, a game there, to get that percentage up? Be prepared to lose 50-50 pucks. There are, there are a lot of 50-50 face-offs that are not determined by the, uh, the centerman clean draws are clean draws that I think a big part of any centerman's job is to not get your clock cleaned consistently. When you go up against Bergeron and Taves, who are the two best in the business in this generation, in my mind, and they don't, especially Bergeron, Bergeron doesn't play any mind games. I, I've talked to, you know, our four, our centermen and other guys and they go, he doesn't say, you know, look at you in the eye and then go, uh, Oh, I was expecting him to go on the backhand and he went forehead or I expected him to use his feet. Nuh-uh. He goes straight backhand and he goes, I'm going to beat you. That's his one thing. And he's damn good at it. And he's smart. So his timing is impeccable. His strength on his hands is outstanding. He's going to beat you pulling the puck back on his backhand. 
that's what he does nearly every time. So I think that's a great challenge. And you experience against him obviously helps. But having said that, when you get against him or Taves, don't get beaten cleanly, you know, very often. It's going to happen. But if you can, if you can do 50-50, then help, help. You know, in, in your own zone, maybe it's a D-man jumping in a circle. The puck's right there in our feet. My job is to tie him up. Don't, once it's a 50-50 and you know it's there somewhere, don't start fishing for it. Tie him up. And one of your forwards get in, one of your defensemen get in. I think the Lightning have been a lot better about that. In other words, then be prepared to lose. And if you do lose, make sure that nobody, as you're staring into the circle, oh, my guy just lost it. Now their forward just knifed right in front of you to the front of the net, and you're on the back side of him, and the puck's going to the net, you're in trouble already. It's those first, it's that first 20 seconds. What did you do? All five guys are responsible for faceoffs, not just for centermen. And I think the Lightning have done a lot better job of that. Brian Engbaum joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. Brian, how do you think collectively the back end has been, and uh, what do you uh, make of the top six, top seven, potentially moving forward? Interesting. Um, they've, they've tried to get some continuity lately. We haven't seen as many ins and outs um, over the last couple of weeks as we did before. I felt like I was always guessing. Uh, but then the last you know couple of games, now that might change again here tonight. I'm really interested to see. You know, Foot's been in the last couple of games. Uh, and at times they've had to play seven because uh, Paul was out. And that made sense. And the Lightning have always, you know, done really well with 7D in. Um, I mean, Coop did it, what, 30-something times a couple of years ago. Um, so the forwards are used to it. But as far as the decor goes, you know, seeing Bogosian with Hedman pretty regularly, um, I think that's good. But I, I think that's been sort of, uh, I don't know if issue is the right word, but uh, one of those situations are how is this all going to sort out? Uh, where where exactly was Perbix going to fit? Because as we've you know documented over the year, he's been the surprise of the Lightning all season long, and he can play. How much can he play? Um, nobody plays as much as Victor, so it doesn't matter who his partner is. Victor's going to play with other guys, and we see Sergachev go there, cross over, and get extra ice time there. Uh, different combinations, but the Chernak Cole combination I really liked. Um, we've discussed this before. I wasn't a big fan. I mean, that you know, that's one of my favorites, of course, being a former D-man. I just kept looking at the at the uh, Chernak-Heady combination and going, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem to look right. Um, they just have different styles. And it's every bit as important to get uh, chemistry between two defensemen as it is any forward line because you can't talk your way through it when you're a D-man. You have to know what your D partner's favorite things to do under pressure are, especially on the rush. Who, who's going to play that guy? When the guy's coming right down the middle of the ice, is it going to be Hedman? Is it going to be Chernak? Like, who's it going to be? Those are critical things that have to happen. And because both guys go, you're in trouble. Nobody goes. Now they've got 20 feet inside the blue line and they've been uncontested. That's bad news, too. So those are things that get overlooked sometimes. And those are the things I was kind of talking about with regard to the, the, the neutral zone, the defending of the rush, that's where it just seemed like Chernak was so used to McDonough, who was a classic up and down, more stay on your side kind of guy. And Victor Hedman is anything but that. And God love Victor, don't want to change him. 
Victor is who he is. He's one of the great defensemen of this era. So you have to have somebody who's more comfortable understanding where you have to be when Victor is doing his thing, which may mean he's over on your own, on your side. Um, so that's still evolving. The flurry foot thing is still evolving. We haven't seen flurry much. Uh, so he, to me, is definitely the seventh guy. Is there going to be a change between now and the deadline? I'm really curious about that. They already have eight guys, so somebody definitely would have to go. But um, it's still interesting. I think it's solidifying itself, um, and I think there's still some work to do back there. Last one for me, Brian. So you mentioned Cole and Chernak, but the last couple of games, not every single time out there because the Lightning have used 7D, but we've seen a lot of chernak Sergachev. And they had the matchup against the McKinnon line last Thursday. What do you make of that pair? And do you think that is more experimentation or maybe an actual shift here that we're going to see regularly? Um, I think, again, <clears throat> that's a really good thing to have. Let's go back to the conversation we just had about uh, Stammer and uh, uh, Hegel changing lines, changing D partners and having more than one guy to play with. Absolutely. That is critical, too, because if your partner all year gets hurt and you can't play with anybody else, that's that's critical. That, that's really bad. So seeing Sergi with Turnak, um, great. They seem to get along fine. To be very frank, uh, coming out of the, the All-Star week off, Chernak really struggled. I mean, really struggled. As bad a first game back as I think I've ever seen him play. And I felt for, I felt for him. I think there were times where he, he wanted the ice to open up and just swallow him, you know, like take me out of my misery. It was it was that bad. So and and so some of that was, you know, with Cole, some of that was, you know, not all Chernak, but Hey, your night's on defense. You can win for nothing. And your night on defense is pure hell. And the reverse can be true. You can lose for nothing and say, hey, I played a really good game, and I know in my heart I was really good. Chernak's one of those guys. He knows when he's on or off. And so as much as anything, that may have been, okay, we got to give a different feel to Cherney here. He's an important guy for us. Let's just break up that combo of him and Cole for a bit. And, and you know, it's, it's a reset. We don't want to bench him. We just want to hit the reset button here a little bit. So I don't know. I'm not sure the coaches would even tell us that. We're reading between the lines. That's how I feel looking at it. And I think it served two purposes that turned out to be good in both uh, both directions. Well, Brian, we appreciate everything you've done on this show, breaking it all down. You can stop flashing Dave whenever you get a chance, and we'll talk Sorry, to you. <laughs> we'll talk to you pretty soon. We appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. It should be a fun one. I, I, yeah, I didn't want Dave to fall out of the booth there when I did it. There, but I promise I won't do it. Again. I can't blame him. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. We'll we appreciate okay. it. All right, Brian Engblom from the stands, right? Yeah, he's got a <laughs> tennis elbow. I could see he had the, the yeah. arm crook to hold the phone up to his ear. Yeah. He loves it. I guess it. sometimes, you know, if you have a half-hour phone conversation, you get that. Yeah. He loves talking hockey, so it doesn't matter. He does love talking hockey. And there's nobody better, and we always appreciate him breaking it down with us. All right, so we got the game tonight, it's, what, 9 o'clock? It's got to be a little weird for him, though. Like, so he mentioned Colin Chernak. You know, he wasn't calling the last two games. I wonder if he – I'm sure he was aware that that Chernak and Sergachev were playing together, but it is different when you're not completely zeroed in on doing a broadcast. Because right. the last 
two games for the Lightning were ESPN slash ABC games. Yeah. So Brian and Dave Randorf haven't worked a game since the Lightning played San Jose. Haven't worked a game since the Lightning played San Jose. It's got to be a little weird. It's been a week since they've called it's one a game. Thing about, it's one thing about radio. You don't have to worry about yeah. getting bumped, right? Yeah. I mean, it is kind of. Not would. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's not like the league is saying, well, National Radio is doing this game, so you get the night off. But that's yeah. basically what's happening on TV. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll speak to you tonight. Pre-game yes. skate show is going to begin at 8, if I get my times correct. 8.30, network pre-game. And then you've got uh, the game call, 9 o'clock Eastern 9 o'clock, yes. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. And then we'll be back at it again tomorrow, recapping this game and looking ahead to the next, which will be tomorrow. <laughs> All right, partner. Great job. Appreciate you. Yep. Talk to you in a few hours. Thanks to Dave Michigan there. Thanks to Steve Ersnick. Thanks to Brian Engblom. And thanks to everybody who listened. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. You're clear. All right, guys.